Welcome to the O-Shift for Teens podcast, a show where I team up with a thought leader and we discuss a new topic question that will help you better understand your teens. I'm your host, Mark Tucker, co-author of O-Shift for Teens and its accompanying workshop kit and curriculum. This super easy to facilitate, life-changing material is being used by folks just like you throughout the United States and beyond. Head to oshift.com and choose one of the many ways you can become involved in this worldwide movement. Well, happy holidays to all of you. I hope it's going stress-free and wonderfully. If you are stressed out, well, you can just head to oshift.com and download the best-selling book, Oshift, for free. If you haven't done that already, well, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, You can share that information with your stressed-out friends and family and neighbors and mailman if you like. Now, many of you have made a connection with us by originally seeing my wife and partner Jennifer Powers giving one of her O-Shift keynotes. If you want to bring Jen to your conference or your organization, she'll be doing a lot of that this coming year, 2017, which is right around the corner. Um, Bring her out, motivate and inspire the people around you and in your organization. If you've seen her, you know she's amazing, dynamic, wonderful, and the information that she gives is literally life-changing. So if that's something that's interesting to you, you can uh, email me at mark at oshift.com and I'll take care of you. All right. Well, I've got a really wonderful conversation that I just had with Shira Brayer, who has a program called Motivate. That's M-O-T-I-V-8. And she's got a book coming out soon with that same name. Wonderful conversation. Our topic was What do we do if our teens stop listening to us? And if you've been listening to my shows so far, you find that communication is sort of an ongoing theme. Communication between us and the teens that we work with or or our own teens. So you're going to love this conversation. I did. I love talking to Shira, and uh, I know that it's going to be a huge game changer for you as well. So here we go with that conversation. My guest today is Shira Breyer. Shira Breyer is an empowerment speaker, professional songwriter, and soon-to-be author. Her dynamic, interactive, and multimedia-based program called Motivate, Eight Ways to Rock Your Own World, teaches eight critical skills to help improve the most important relationship, the one we have with ourselves. She infuses her unique brand of humor and music into all of her programs. Her charitable work includes being a mentor, doing workshops for underprivileged and homeless kids, and writing custom songs for sick children through the Songs of Love organization. Shira, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you, Mark? I'm so good. So nice. It's kind of funny because half of my guests so far have been folks from New York. I don't don't know what's going on there. Yay, New York. (laughs) Are you guys just smarter than everybody else? Uh, Maybe. Not me, but everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll have to see about that. I see you do a lot of work with girls. Is that is that most of your work is with girls? I would say predominantly I do work with girls and their moms uh, because when the moms are involved, it's much more impactful. And, uh, you know, being a girl myself, I absolutely can remember as best I can to, uh, you know, to be able to relate to what girls are going through today, even though what they're going through is a lot harder than what I went through. But there's a lot of similarities. So, yes, I focus predominantly on, on the females. 
Right. What do you think, I mean, just real quick, and not to get too far off track here, but what do you think makes it more difficult for them now than it used to? Well, when I was growing up, there were only a few methods to get someone's attention um, and to influence them, mainly, you know, television, radio, print. And now I think girls just feel like they have to be on 24-7 and they're bombarded through just a, a myriad of different types of channels, whether it's all the ones I just mentioned, plus, you know, social media and the Internet with all of its, you know, crazy, sometimes misinformed information. Um, and then just that whole necessity to be on all the time, I think, is exhausting for them. I think it's exhausting for everybody, but um, particularly for them as their self-esteem is only starting to get established at this age. Um, it's just it's just harder. I, I hear it all over the place. Yeah, it's interesting. And when I looked uh, when I looked up your website, I was kind of excited, honestly, to see that you did sort of specialize in girls. And we haven't really done a show uh, specifically about girls yet. And I know that's not what our purpose is today. I'll get to our mm -hmm. topic in a moment. But mm -hmm. I, I like the fact that you do. And I know that the, the girls, that they show up with their own set of needs uh, to specialize. It, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, our topic now, as my listeners know by now, um, I send my guests a list of to potential topic questions for them to choose. And uh, it's such a wonderful way to do it because we get, you know, a variety of, well, it, it, what it means is that you get to just pick the one that you feel best about and best talking mm -hmm. about. Um, when I sent you the list, you chose the topic, what do we do if our teens stop listening to us? What was it about that topic that sort of stood out for you? Well, I, I still have a teen <laughs> who, who doesn't always listen to me. And through all the work that I've done, it's really a very, very interesting topic because there's so much to be said about it in terms of the quandary that it puts parents in when your children don't listen to you. So normally when you hear my children aren't listening to me, you can think negatively about that. But there's actually also something very positive about it. And so I liked the fact that it had sort of a double-edged connotation to it, and I was sort of drawn to that question. Yeah, a lot of good questions, but that one in particular uh, stirred up a lot of um, good stuff. Well, I, I, that's a really interesting perspective that there's a positive spin to this. I'm looking forward to hearing about that. I know, I know for a lot of uh, parents of teens or at least coming teens, I've got an, an 11 and a 13-year-old myself. Good, I think there's one. a lot. Oh, great. Oh, <laughs> I shouldn't say that. That wasn't right. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> <laughs> no, you say it. You say it. Well, I think for a lot of us, we look at that possibility. I think it's always in our mind that there's, there's a possibility that our teens are going to sort of check out from us. And it's, it could be kind of a terrifying thought, you know, it's like, well, what do I do? I mean, why is that happening? And um, can I prevent it at all? And I think a lot of parents just sort of give in to the inevitability that the teens just sort of go mute on us. Well, you know, it's really uh, at the end of the day, uh, we all have needs as human beings, and we all have a need to be heard and understood. And so, you know, I don't think it's so much – I think a lot of parents anticipate having their children not listen to them at this age, but really at the end of the day it's about respecting them and knowing that they're your children, but also respecting the fact that they are 
growing and expanding their knowledge base and their experiences, and we really have to keep that sense of respect for them intact so that, you know, that, they'll, that they would want to listen to us when we're offering information that can be helpful to them, but when we, we have to be really careful about talking at our children. You know, okay. just talking at them and sort of, you know, sometimes they tune out because they feel we're talking at them and we're not really trying to understand what they're going through. And some of it can be, you know, it's their safety. Uh, we want to make sure that they're making good decisions. Maybe it's the way we were raised and we know that that's the right thing for our kid or we think that's the right thing for our kid. But we really need to get to know them and their essence and what's happening in their world, just like we'd want anybody to do for us. So it's not right. so much what you're saying to your kid, it's the way you're saying it to your kid. And that's the difference between a child who listens and, and sort of wants to connect with the parent and a child who's a little more defiant, who's just like, oh, yeah, well, I'm going to do my own thing. That's, that's right. part of it. That's part of it. That's not everything, but it is a big part of it. Do you think that, that the, the way that we speak to kids, do you think it's sort of a carryover from when they were little and, and everything is kind of a lesson, like don't, walk in the street, you'll be run over. Um, you know, mm-hmm. so we get, we get in sort of this parental mindset of everything's a lesson. And then when they're, they're teenagers, they're just like, mm-hmm. it's almost like we've lost credibility or something, yet we're still talking to them in that fashion. How would, how would you approach it then in sort of changing from that old, everything's a lesson mentality to something new? How, how would you change that? Well, you know, there, there's been a, I've done a lot of work in this area, and one of the really, really interesting modalities um, of communication that I've come across is something called NVC, which stands for Nonviolent Communication. Yeah. And it's a – have you heard of it? I have. I certainly have, yeah. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a very interesting concept. It's sort of one that's easy to understand but not that easy to implement. But it all comes from a place of need. So if you can look at your child and say, you know, they're having a certain need that's not being met right now, um, how can I change my vocabulary to come from a place of um, understanding and empathy rather than sort of shaking the finger and saying, you should, you ought to, and you have to listen to me. And one of the mnemonic devices that they use is something called connection before correction, which I love. I just love that connection before correction because if you can stay connected to your child while you're having some kind of a, um, you know, a difficulty or a challenge, then you're much more likely to get compliance or understanding from your child. And so there, and there's that very fine line of from when your kid is no longer a child and then until they, when they really start, you want them to make decisions for themselves. You know, on some right. level – you want your child to pull away from you and not necessarily listen to every single thing you're saying. Obviously, if their safety is involved, uh, that's, you know, all bets are off. But I think it's a time in their lives where we can really start kind of tapping into their minds and what's going on for them. And I think the more they feel that we're invested in their well-being and their own opinion and how they see the world, the better off you can, you know, stay during those turbulent years. Right. According to nonviolent communication, what, do they have a specific approach for making oh, those yeah. connections? Yeah, so um, an interesting example for that would be, let's say your, your, your kid's room is an, an absolute abomination, 
and you've told them a million times to clean it up. I mean, there's really no parent I know who hasn't <laughs> had at least one child with, you know, their room looks like a hurricane hit a flea market, you know. It's, oh, yeah. Uh, especially the girls. <laughs> so if you're, if you're a person that really values order in your home, and let's face it, it is your home, um, and you are telling your child to, to clean up after themselves and they're not, the typical way that many parents sort of approach this is, oh, my God, are you kidding me with this room? Like how many times, how could you live like this? You're you living right. a pig. I can't take it anymore. Clean it up right now or you're grounded, you know? Right. So it's sort of this like one-ended, you know, one-sided my way or the highway kind of approach. Right. And yeah. that really upsets the child because, A, they have other things that they have to take care of. They may not value order the way you do, um, but it is your home. So a child can get extremely defensive when they're sort of being talked at, just like I said before. So, so in NBC, when you're really sort of connected to your own needs and you're able to express that, clearly to the other person who you are trying to get them to do something for you, it might sound something like, let's say your daughter's name is, you know, Courtney. Courtney, I want you to know that when I see the clothes on the floor, I get very upset because I value cleanliness and order. Would you be willing to pick up your room after dinner? And the four elements of that, um, if I could just delve into it for a second because it's really important is an acronym yeah. called OFNR, which stands for Observation, Feeling, Need, and Request. So the observation part starts with a very, you know, you, you're not getting into judgment or shaming the child. You're just saying, when I observe your room looking the way it does, you're stating a fact. You're not judging. You're just stating a fact. Um, I feel very frustrated, right? I feel very frustrated. You're not saying you, 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 you're bad. You're saying I, the parents, feel frustrated. That's the F part. Then the N stands for need. So the mom says because I value cleanliness in our home. Yeah. And then the R is the request. Would you be willing to pick it up, to pick up your room after dinner? So it's sort of this, you know, it's sort of just a much nicer way to approach your child rather than the previous version that I acted out for you just now. <laughs> right. Well, and I, and I can tell you, Shira, what you're talking about works pretty much for any relationship, but certainly mm-hmm. works wonders, works wonders for teens. I mean, mm-hmm. um, and I, when I, I can remember taking a classroom management class when I was uh, becoming a teacher and yeah. we called these, I feel statements. And it was, I, I can remember the first time using it with a kid. It was like magic. It's just mm. for parents to find out this information, it's, it's really a nice tool to realize it doesn't put the kids on defense. It really talks about your own feeling. It kind of puts everything in perspective because the truth is the fact that I need them to clean the room kind of is my issue. I mean, it's something I want, and I want them mm-hmm. to be clean. So, so there's some mm-hmm. responsibility building, but there's also my own need to keep my house clean. So it, it really uh, takes away the defensiveness. I love that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and sometimes it's, you know, something more severe than a dirty room. So that's where it gets, um, you know, a little more challenging to kind of keep your cool and to stay very connected to yourself while you're approaching your child as respectfully as possible. Like with your child's mouthing off to you, you know, it's very difficult to say, you know, uh, Courtney, when you, when you speak to me in that tone, you know, your, your inclination is to sort of just, you know, shout back or just say, how dare you talk to me like that. But you really need to bite your tongue and try it and get very connected to what's happening for you as a parent. You could say, you know what, like 
if you, ha- if you observe your child speaking to you in a, in a really obnoxious tone, you can literally get connected and say, wow, I feel I really value kindness, and, and I'm not being yeah. spoken to in a kind way right now. So you have to just work on the phrasing. It's not an instantaneous thing. It takes a while. It takes practice, but it's absolutely worth it for sure. Just like you said, you've seen it in your own experiences. The thing about um, asking for kindness, it only works when you've been doling out kindness. So it does, if, right. if you're yelling, it's hard to ask for that back. Exactly. It makes me, exactly. it, you know, it makes me think of when my kids were uh, little, um, I did more of the instructional, like, I just need you to do this. These are the consequences mm-hmm. for you not. But I can mm-hmm. remember having the thought when my kids were little, this isn't going to work forever. You know, I mean, the, the, right. the, clock's sort of, the clock's sort of ticking when I can sort of demand they do things without some sort of, you know, different approach. And so right. I, think for, I think for a lot of parents, a lot of teen advocates, they have trouble with the transition going mm-hmm. from that real instructional do step A, step B, to having mm-hmm. a more collaborative relationship with the kids mm-hmm. that they're dealing with. Um, that transition is hard, and some parents never make the transition, and it becomes, you know, the kid's 17, 18, and it's becomes yeah. a, a my, my way or the highway situation, and it, yeah. it just doesn't work. So, so I think that what you've covered as far as the OFNR, the Observe Feeling Need Request, I think that mm-hmm. is a, it's something that the, my listeners could really use to make a huge uh, sort of dent in their, the progress they're making with their, their teens. Yeah, well, and I just want to add one other little quick tidbit to that is that I, I'm such a lover of language, and it's, it's, like I said before, it's never really what you say, it's the way that you say it. And so if you wouldn't want to be, if you yourself wouldn't want to be on the receiving end of what you're saying right now, then you have the power to just literally put the pause button on and check in with yourself. Like, what's going right. on for me right now? Am I modeling the behavior for my child? Because they remember this stuff. You know, kids are, are really, really smart. And they, um, they, they absolutely absorb and digest how you are being in the world. And you're their most important role model. So, you know, it, it kind of starts with you. And, and I think over time, once your kids are going through the, that, those turbulent years, if you really put the investment in, you will absolutely see the returns. There's something I want to highlight that you just said, and that is that stopping – in the middle of a interaction and making an adjustment, I think that a lot of adults feel like they'll lose credibility if they sort of do an about face. Um, mm. I disagree. I disagree with that wholeheartedly. I think modeling that you can in the moment make a change for the better of the relationship is modeling for them how they how how to do that. And I could remember in my own life, you know, a few years ago, I just remember a real turning point with my son where I kind of stormed out. He had, he, he had done something that normally I come out, and, you're not supposed to do that. And right. I caught myself in the middle and I said, you know what, I'm overreacting here. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you that not only was that important for him to see, but it was important for me to be checking in like that. And I'm telling you mm-hmm. that it was sort of a, there was sort of a change in, in our relationship after that mm. point. I, I was able in the moment to stop myself and self-reflect and take a different path. That, that's and, a beautiful uh, thing. It really is yeah. because it's um, a, lot of, a lot of our communication as human beings on the planet is, is hugely ego-driven, and we all know how damaging that can be. So if you really can kind of hone in on that, like, wow, I'm really talking from my ego right now, 
because a lot of us were raised as, you know, you have to listen to me, I'm your parent, I know what's best, and, you know, it didn't jive with you when you were growing up, so why are you, you know, you got to think twice before thinking of passing on that my way or the highway kind of, you know, if it doesn't serve you, it's not serving the relationship, you have the absolute ability to make a change. You have consciousness. It's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. One of the questions that I that came to mind when you chose this as a topic is is this idea of and, and it came it's come up actually in my last two interviews, which was um, how much should we sort of demand that non communicative kids um, communicate with us? You know, how much mm-hmm. should we sort of force that because we start to see them become more withdrawn? They're in their own heads. Uh, they yeah. show up. They may not even yeah. know what they're thinking. How much should we push them? Look, you know, everything, uh, one of my theories in life that's helped me so much is that every attribute of human beings is on a spectrum, right? Some people are super, super neat, and some people are super, super messy, and then you have everybody in between. And then you have some people who are really communicative and love to talk and are very energetic and descriptive and just tell stories and, and really get into that. And there are some people who are much more introverted who really get their energy from being alone. So you really have to know your child, and you can't put a square peg in a round hole. If your child, if you, you know your child, if they, if they really prefer not to share and give you all kinds of information, especially now that they're entering more of this kind of private, I don't have to tell you everything, I think that really needs to be respected. And all you have to do is go back to your own teen years, which is what I really advocate in my work. I think it's so important. It's not always doable to remember yourself as a teenager. But if you really try, you can remember certain instances in your young life um, and really try to understand your child. And so if you see them struggling, that's one thing. You know, you could say, hey, I see that you're having a hard time with, you know, X situation, whatever it is. If you want to talk, I'm here for you. If not, that's okay too. But you also may want to caveat that with, you know, if something, you know, important or serious is happening for you, we can get you the help you need. Because sometimes, you know, sometimes kids don't necessarily want to tell their deepest, darkest secrets to, um, to their parent. They might not want to tell it to a therapist either. That might be, you know, having <laughs> kind of a stigma attached to it. But I think that they need to have those options, that they need to know that you're there for them and that, and that if, they, if they feel comfortable sharing, they should. And if you as a parent are seeing things that are giving you some warning signs, um, obviously it's your job as a parent to, to get as much information as you can, whether it's from the child or from another source. If your child is extroverted and wants to share and tell you things, great. And if you know them to not be that way, don't force it. It's just not, not a good thing. You know, it, it reminds me of a book called The Five Love Languages. Have you heard of that book? Ah! I love that book. I talk about it all the time. <laughs> it's, you know, I, I, I'm going to make a connection between that and this. Of course, that's about uh, man and wife type relationships. But th- the point is we all have our ways of receiving love uh, mm-hmm. that don't necessarily align with our partners. I think mm-hmm. that there can, there's a connection that can be made here is um, the way that I expect communication isn't necessarily the way that my boy or girl you know, it communicates. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so w- what you've just described isn't necess- doesn't make parenting any easier on the outset because right. um, it takes more work. It takes more understanding. It takes more understanding that they're the differences between them and you. But at the same time, uh, we're talking about relationship here. And I, if, I, if I were to emphasize anything, 
to my listeners is that anything that you want to be good at takes work and practice. I mean, some mm-hmm. of us, you know, have natural abilities. Maybe it's playing baseball. You might have natural ability. But if you want to be really good, it takes work. If you want to be good as a parent or in any relationship, it's mm-hmm. going to take work. And many of us get in relationships and we, we sort of start to coast after a while. But if you want it to be good, it takes yeah. work and it takes understanding. And I think that's what yeah. you're talking about there. And, and Mark, I just want to add another actually really um, interesting thought here, and that is that you might, let's say I have friends whose daughters are not as talkative as they are or that, as they, they would like them to be, and it really upsets them because they're like, I told my mother everything, and my daughter doesn't want to talk to me, and it really upsets them. Like, I, I want to be here for her. What I have found, and, you know, they say patience is a virtue, what I have found in many cases is that the girl who was a teenager who didn't want to talk to her mother about everything that was going on in her world ended up becoming an adult who did want to share. I want to say adult. I mean, even later in your teen years, wants to share because, because she knew her mother was there for her. Maybe she didn't want to connect when she was 12 or 13 or 14, but all of a sudden, 16, 17, the, the, the daughter still feels connected to the mother because she knows she's there, and now she's ready to have that kind of, you know, more verbal closeness with their, with their mom. And, and so patience really is an important part of it. You can't, like, pigeonhole your child and say, oh, great, now they're never going to tell me anything. It's like that's not the case. But if you respect them and they know that it's important to you to share, right, because they see you, you're their mother, they know, sometimes they kind of come out of their shell later on. So, so don't give up hope. You know, uh, that's that's such an important thing to keep in mind. And uh, when you think about raising children, it really is a series of phases. And I can say mm-hmm. in my own life, just athletically, when I was a little kid, I was not very athletic. But when I got into high school, everything changed for me. When mm-hmm. you look at kids, and, and even adults, if you really look, uh, it's everything's a yeah. series of phases. Um, oh. So when we worry, uh, even when we have these terrible worries, like they start, they show up and one of their friends is somebody that you just don't like them to be around. Um, mm-hmm. Usually you're going nuts and getting all frustrated and, and, and nervous. And next thing you know, they've moved on and matured. That's right. We have a little phrase in our house. It's called wait to worry. Just, just wait to worry. You don't have to worry right now. Worry later. You don't have to do it now. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I it's love it. Helpful. Doesn't do anything for you. Worry's just uh, worry kills life. That's how I feel. I love it, and I love talking to you, Shira. Um, that our time has just flown by. It feels like there's a lot uh-huh. more to say. I, I think the topic of communication, which is really what we're talking about, is. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the most important uh, conversations that we could have, uh, whether it's with kids or whether it's with, well, anybody that we want to have a successful relationship with, work coworkers mm-hmm. and spouses and on and on and on. Um, yep. I really appreciate you sharing your thoughts on the topic, and um, I'd love to sort of keep up with what you're doing. Can you tell people where they can find out more about what you're doing and, and some of the work that you've been putting out? Absolutely. Um, so my website, which is being redone at the moment, but you can still go to it, is uh, shirabreyer.com, and that's S-H-E-I-R-A, and then Breyer is B-R-A-Y-E-R.com. And um, I think you mentioned at the outset that I am writing a book, um, which I am putting the finishing touches on, but the really exciting part about my book is that uh, because I'm a musician and songwriter, 
Uh, the song, the, the book is called Motivate, Eight Ways to Rock Your Own World, and I'm going to have an original song that's going to correspond to each of the eight skills. So there's going to be eight original songs and a couple of bonus tracks. And the really nice part about it is that my daughter, who's also a singer-songwriter, is going to be recording some of the songs with me. So it's going to be a true mother-daughter initiative. So excited about it, I can't even breathe when I think about it. <laughs> How fun. How fun. And when does that all come out? Oh, dear Lord. Um, <laughs> you know, my best guess is going to be spring of 2017. Okay. The book itself is almost done. Uh, the music part's going to take some time. Um, but I think it's all going to be worth it. So we'll stay in touch, and I'll let you know when it's coming out. But uh, it's going to be spring of 2017. Please do. Yeah, please please stay in touch with me because I know my listeners will want to know um, when that comes out. In the meantime, you do have programs that they can check into now. Yeah, the one I do for, for teens and then also teens and parents is called Motivate Eight Ways to Rock Your Own World. And what that does is it takes the word motivate and uses it as an acronym. So each letter stands for a concept that helps each of us connect better to ourselves. So meditation, optimism, tolerance, intuition, vibe, attitude, thankfulness, and expression. Those are the eight skills that we delve into. Um, and then I have a program for younger kids that I do also called uh, The Gift of Song, Motivating Children Through Music. So you've been busy. Well, folks, um, I, went to, uh, I, I went online. I looked up Shira Brayer, the Motivate. There's a lot uh, that you can see. We can see you in action, Shira. So mm -hmm. great to have you on the show. Thank you for joining me. I look forward to seeing that book in spring. Okay, Mark. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You bet. Happy holidays. Okay, you too. What absolute fun it was talking with Shira Brayer about communicating with our kids, a topic that I really love. Check her out. Check out what she's got going on and um, make some breakthroughs in the way that you communicate with your teens. Listen, if you've thought about becoming a facilitator of the O-Shift for Teens workshop kit, we've made it super easy to facilitate. All you do is you get the information and then be, you become a superstar facilitator of it, just like I do, just like Jen does, just like facilitators all over the world are doing changing the lives of the kids that they work with. It's really a coaching program, so it gets conversations going and it gets kids looking deeper into their own lives and becoming more responsible for their decisions, for their words, for their reactions. So much fun to have you on the show. Thank you for joining me. Next week we have another wonderful conversation, and I know that you'll uh, enjoy it too. So we'll see you next week. All right, bye-bye.